Park Bible Baptist Church, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open them to the book of Ephesians. We're in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and um, I apologize for the difficulties with the system this morning. We had a power outage this week, and we're still trying to get some of the settings back to where they're supposed to be. And some of them got left out, it looks like. Thank you for being patient with that. Ephesians, the first chapter. We're mainly just going to work on the 10th verse this morning, but let's begin in the 7th, read down through the 10th. And we'll have a moment of prayer, and then we'll get started. And I invite you to stay just following the sermon uh, as we celebrate the Lord's table. Verse 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is according to his purpose which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to plan to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we do so with humble hearts. Humble hearts and outstretched hands to receive the goodness of the word that is written on our behalf, Father, to tell us who you are, to tell us of so great a salvation, so great a Savior that has come, planned before the foundations of the world, in your love and out of your grace and mercy. You sent your Son, Jesus, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, Scripture says, to die on our behalf, to pay payment for our sins, so that we may live free, so that we may love, so that we may be unburdened by death, uh, the enemy's greatest weapon in our greatest fear. Father, thank you for the goodness in that as we go through this message this morning. I just pray that you speak directly to the hearts of your people. Uh, overcome my simple ways and words through the power of your Holy Spirit and feed them with what they need this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we begin this morning uh, a bit of a review from last week because we've been talking about the redemption in the blood, and that redemption is so much greater than I think that sometimes we dwell on. So we're going to dwell on a week, that, uh, a li- dwell on that just a little bit this morning further so that we can see the plan of God, the plan that was not only began before the foundation of the world, but will consist and take place throughout the end of what we know as this world today. So as we begin in this passage, we'll culminate at that point this morning. Many of you, I think, have thought about regarding the work of redemption as far through to the end as this passage maybe presents this morning. So I want to be uh, keep that before you and, and uh, instruct you in those things well this morning. But we're going to get there, I assure you, we all will. Where is there? And it is the absolute truth of the 10th verse of the book of Ephesians. Now, if there is a thesis verse of the book of Ephesians, this is it. Not only is this a thesis verse for the book of Ephesians, but all that God is doing. I think that uh, if you want to help set one central point of Scripture, it needs to be verse 10. Uh, Christ and everything that came before in verses 3 through 9 uh, is the plan, as verse 10 says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is God's plan from beginning to end. Uh, you may think it consists of a lot of different things. There's been world rulers all over history's palette uh, that believe that they had the plan, that they believe that they had 
precedent over what God is doing in their lives, but they all died. They've all come to the same place that we're all going to, and we will stand before God, a holy God, and stand under his plan. Uh, Psalms 2 was very instructive in that, and that's why I had him read that this morning. David writes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, the rulers, they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But verse 4 kind of sums it all up, and I don't know if you've thought about God sitting in the heaven laughing at man's simple plans, but that's what this passage of Scripture says. It is the futility of man's might to believe that he can make plans outside of what God's plan. And verse 10 in Ephesians 1 specifically tells us God's plan is to unite all things in Christ. All things, not only things that we see and things that we deal with here on earth, but things in heaven and things on earth. That not only uh, scope, the scope of that is not only the world, uh, the United States, uh, Pennsville, New Jersey, but it's the cosmos, the universe, everything will be united, brought back in Christ. So verse 4 in Psalms 2 says this, He sits in the heavens and he laughs. The, whole, the Lord holds them in derision because he's going to speak to them in his wrath and terrify them with his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That king is Jesus, King Jesus. And everything will come to fruition in him. If it doesn't come to fruition in him, it will be judged by him. So what we will discover is the logical conclusion of the plan. The plan of God before the foundations of the world to set apart a people that he would give ultimately to his son, Jesus. That Jesus would live and die to redeem and then commission the Holy Spirit to apply so great of a salvation to. And next week will be if the Lord uh, leaves us there in verses 13 and 14 looking at the work and the application of God's plan to the believer in time through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the plan, and hear me say that, the plan, because I believe it's the only plan, the plan of God to unite all things in Christ is the logical conclusion to all that God has promised in Christ. And when you understand the plan, it will give you the ability to consider your life in the light and knowledge of what God has done and is doing. What God has done previous to bring today to pass and what God will do ultimately uh, in what he's doing today. It is the plan of God. And I say that in past tense because though God is now working out that plan in history, it's done in its entirety because it's God's work in doing it. It's done in its entirety and sealed in the blood, the redeeming blood, verse 7, of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's as good as complete. Notice where Paul speaks in Romans 8. Uh, those who have been uh, called will be are justified, and those who are justified uh, who will be sanctified, and those who are sanctified will be glorified. That's often referred to as the golden chain in the book of Romans chapter 8. But also notice, please, with me, that all those verbs are in the past tense, as if they've already taken place, even though some of them, in time, our glorification is not, is still yet to come. But because God's plan is such that it cannot be thwarted by any one thing, Psalms 2, it will come to pass. It's as good as complete. The plan then becomes like a standard or a rule or a measuring stick, if you will, of your life, beloved. If we believe God and if God has revealed his plan to us, which he has, and if all other human plans will fail, then they will. God's plan is ultimate over all. 
How then should we live will be the question for many of you today. Let's answer that question. Let's begin in Ephesians 7 and how we should live. In him we have redemption. Scripture says in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. As we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, we established the method by which God has brought us out from under his condemnation and from the awful curse of sin to the blessing of salvation. That is that Jesus was participant in the covenant of redemption that was set forth before the foundations of the world to be born of a virgin, to live a life that the first Adam failed to live, and in upholding the covenant of works on our behalf was the perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice to die on our behalf. Taking on the punishment of our sin and suffering on a Roman cross, removing the debt that we owed that we could not pay. That's what redemption in the blood is. This is why we sing, there is power, power, wonder working. I know I don't sing very well, but just entertain me here for a minute. Maybe clap or something. There is power, power, wonder, right? That's why we sing that old hymn, because there's power. And that's just one aspect of the power of the, uh, of the blood is the redemption, the immediate redemption of our sins so that God's righteous requirement of the law is satisfied and he remains just before us. Because if God, listen, if God was a, an unjust judge who took a bribe, who said, you know, you've done, this is what everybody, when I witness to him, they say, you know, I've been a pretty good person. Define good. Because the definition of good is God's standard of good. I think there's an objective standard, and I don't want to get too far off here, but there's an objective standard that we can judge our lives by. God says, thou shall not lie. Have you ever lied? You're out. Those objective standards stand the testament of time. Have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever dishonored your mother and your father? Jack, quit smiling, right? We all have done these things. Jesus said to look at a woman in, in lust is like a dog. We've all broken God's commands. We need payment for our sins, and Jesus was that perfect life that came that paid the penalty of our sins. That's why the cross was and had to be a bloody mess because he paid the penalty for our sins. That's how God can be just. He doesn't just let us in because we've tried hard. He lets us in because Jesus was perfect on our behalf. Therefore, he can be just because somebody else has paid our penalty. Somebody else has paid our fine. When we get to do the judge one day, somebody's come ahead of us and paid what we owed. Therefore, we are free. But there's more power than that in the blood. The blood does much more than that. It builds to verse 10. This redemption goes further. Remember, I told you a couple of weeks ago, we possess that redemption. We also possess what that redemption buys us in our future. Through faith, we possess the immediate benefits of redemption in Christ, but there are also continuing effects or benefits of this redemption that gives vicarious life to the believer because the blood continues to have a cleansing effect on the life of the believer. Sanctification, that we are day in and day out interacting with God's scripture and the grace that is found there in it, becoming more like Jesus Christ. It is the continual work of the application of the redemption in the blood. It's the gospel, beloved, in the heart and life of the believer. There is legal justification in redemption that is immediate, as I said, but there is also a continuing gift of grace in that we don't just wake up in heaven one day 
right? We don't just wake up one day in heaven not knowing the riches and glories of God's grace until we get there. No. Verse 7 says the redemption was according to the riches of, his God, of God's grace in which we are redeemed and according to the riches of that grace which God has so freely exercised in us is continually redeeming us. It's a continual work of God that remains ongoing and that God is in verse 8, you see it there, lavishing upon us in all wisdom and insight or wisdom and prudence a further or continual work of redemption. Verse 9, by making known, and this is what I contend to you this morning, this is the, 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 the most freeing part of our salvation, is that God is making known to us the mystery of his will. He has made known to us the mystery of the gospel and the working of it, but he is also making known to us by giving us wisdom and insight, lavishing that upon us in all of his good plan to tell us what his good plan is. In other words, we know the ending to the story, don't we? How then shall we live if we know the ending to the story? How then shall we live if we know the ending to the story? God has done a work in us that gives us not only salvation by grace and the redeeming blood of Christ, but a rich, sanctifying knowledge of that salvation in the present and is further showing us all of his will for man. And not just man alone, but for all of creation and the final summation of all things in Christ and that which so great a redemption shall fully accomplish on that day. Let's work on that just a little bit because that's our goal this morning. It's the key to understanding the plan is having more knowledge about God and what he is doing. Verse 9, he's making it known to us, the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, not just some things, but all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. First of all, that wisdom that he's given us, that he's making known, is an available wisdom. It's not hidden. It's not uh, trickery. You don't have to attain some high uh, religious experience to own it. It's right here in our scripture. You can have it through the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ's redemptive blood. You can have it because God wills and longs to give it to those who love him. Paul prays that believers will be given fully the knowledge of God's will and work in Christ. And that just in that following passage, we begin to see that prayer. Read it with me there in Ephesians 1, 15. And I'll read this a lengthy passage, but I think this is what Paul wants you to have. And this is every one of Paul's letters contains this. You know why he wants you to know? Because he don't want you walking around, bumping around the world, partaking of things that you shouldn't, wasting your life here. He wants you to live it to the fullest. He wants you to have the joy that comes from it. I'll show you that later, okay? For this reason, verse 15, for this reason, in other words, because God has done all that, this is why I'm going to pray like this, Paul says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, right? Toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, Paul's already talking to Christians. He's not talking about the salvific spirit of, uh, of wisdom. You've already had that. You've already come to know Christ in salvation. He's talking about something that's continuing to affect the believer. He wants you to continue to grow in your salvation and to grow in your knowledge of what he is doing and what he has done. Hey, this is where you find joy and life and pleasure and encouragement and hope, right? 
You don't know all of that when you get saved. You, you, some level, you want to be out from under God's condemnation, condemnation or your own sin or, or the, the punishment or the, of the conviction of your own conscience of that sin. And you cry out to Christ, and then you begin to learn just how good this Christ is. And you, like somebody in Sunday school this morning, they said, why me? Why would God ever choose me? And then you spend the rest of your life figuring that out, that it's out of his goodness. He wants us to know these things. He wants us to have joy and 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 just absolute victory over the sin and death and defeat that's in this world. You ever seen it? You ever get outside and look at it? We were just, uh, Malik and I, the boy gets hungry in the evenings. I, we went across the bridge to Chipotle. i got to feed him or I'm afraid he'll chew off my arm sometimes, right? So we went across the bridge to Chipotle, and being the Baptist that I am, I saw that we got his uh, Chipotle, and that was like 9 o'clock at night, 8.30. It was still daylight. And I saw that the Wawa had gas for three ninety-five, and I said, man, I've got to do this. I've got to have me some of that gas, right, even though I had to pay 5 bucks to go over there and get it. <laughs> So everything I saved was spent then, but I was pumping gas, and just right there at the edge of the gas station, beloved, was a about a 30-year-old girl just throw in the throes and torn in the throes of her addiction. She was on methamphetamines, probably xylene. She was just doing that dance, you know, and it just literally breaks my heart. That's what the world causes. That's what the absence of the knowledge of God causes. That's chaos, beloved. It's either Christ or chaos. Either you have Christ in your life and you're working toward the plan of God and his knowledge or chaos. And we live in a world of chaos. It's more evident out here than it was in Missouri, but it's everywhere. Right there, standing, we were having fun, joking around, doing father-son things, was a woman at the height of her hurt and addiction in a helpless state. This is why we need to know the Lord. This is why this wisdom is available. Paul's great hope would be that you would mature to the point of understanding all of God's will for you and for your life and that you would derive from it all of the life-giving sap that is there for you to have. That you would, in verse 18, do you see it there? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the great immense hope to which he has called you. Beloved, this is more than just a meeting in heaven someday when you die. Paul is expounding to us the full measure of God's plan. Many hope for heaven, and rightly so, but there's much more than that coming in the resurrection of our bodies. In the resurrection of the new heavens and the new earth, there will be much more to come than just what we're thinking of these days. All of these things will come in Christ. This is God's plan, and it's the plan before the foundation of the world. So number one, that knowledge that Paul is talking about, it's an available wisdom to those of you who call Christ king. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's the continuing work of the Holy Spirit to apply the redemption, the blood of Jesus Christ. But number two, this is a spiritual wisdom. Do you see Paul says that there? It's a spiritual wisdom. And so from the day that we heard in Colossians 1.9. If you just want to turn over a couple of pages through the book of Philippians, you pick up Colossians, the first chapter, beginning at the ninth verse. Colossians 1.9 through 14. This is where we're going to build this spiritual wisdom into what is known as a life-changing wisdom. Verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, that is, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're converted, 
Uh, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul wants us to go to the next level. He wants us to go to the next step. This wisdom is available, and your life as a Christian would be a lot less without it. Paul wants to make sure that you get it, so he continues to give it to us through Scripture, but then he continues to pray that you will take it. (laughs) I want you to have the knowledge of his will. I want you to know the full plan of God, right? And it's a spiritual wisdom. It's discerned spiritually. God gives it to us through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's also, number three, a life-changing wisdom. It's available wisdom. It's a spiritual wisdom. But it's a life-changing wisdom. Keep going there in the book of Colossians with me. Verse 10. So as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. By the way, when we bear fruit, it makes us feel good. When we do good, bearing fruit in the Lord is uh, witnessing, it's reading our scriptures, it's understanding more and more, it's giving, it's doing, it's everything outside of ourselves that God's called us to do, peace, patience, love, right? All those things are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we do that, it makes us feel good. Paul says in Philippians 4, I'm really going on a lot of rabbit trails here this morning, that rejoice always, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You can't be have anxiety and rejoice in the same mouth, right? Verse 10. So as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice those two things go together, that you're working in that direction and increasing in that direction. Verse 11, you're being strengthened with all power. Do you see that there? According to his glorious might, for all endurance, patience, and joy. Endurance, patience, and joy. What is it that will get you through this world? Endurance patience, and joy. Because if you look at this world too long without knowing the plan of God, you'll just rob yourself of all the joy you got. Because when you look and you have not the plan of God, you're going to see like I do sometimes. You're going to say, man, this is hopeless. I have a friend who has cancer, and it seems like everybody has cancer. And you know what? There's no real cure for cancer. All they can do is operate and do the best we can do. It's kind of hopeless. Without God and knowing his plan... Your endurance, your patience, and your joy will not be what he intends it to be. Verse 12, to give thanks, glory to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of all the saints and the light. Because he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to his kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is this available, spiritual, life-changing wisdom that Paul prayed so earnestly that we have? Well, I tell you, it culminates here this morning in verse 10 of Ephesians as the thesis and the central point of all the book of Ephesians. Scripture, not only just the book of Ephesians, but all of Scripture, I believe, all of the world, all of the cosmos, everything that's ever existed or ever will exist, things that we can see, things that we cannot see, it is the central portion of all of it, and it is God's plan. It is here that God unleashes all that he is doing. It is his plan. So what is this plan? What does the wisdom of God give us? First of all, you see it there in verse 10 of Ephesians 1. It reveals the plan to us. God is revealing his perfect will. It was his wisdom to give us what he is doing in all the fullness of time. And here the fullness of time points to the time of Christ's incarnation. It is a central point that all of history is identified under. I said earlier today in Sunday school, if you missed that, you need to come. It's really good. We're going through the book of Acts. It begins at 10 a.m. I think it would just be joyful for you. But I said this this morning that everything points to the cross. Not only 
does history uh, time everything from a time before Christ or after his death, but it is the point of all history. In other words, when God chose to save Moses and Abraham, it was at the cross that he saved them. Moses and Abraham looked forward to the coming of Christ. We look backwards to the cross of Christ, but it is the central part of all that God's doing because he is rebuilding or making all things new in the shed blood and the redeeming blood, verse 7, of Jesus Christ. Not only knew that we are uh, that we have salvation, we have uh, relief from the burden of our condemnation and sins before him, but that in he is making us new as in a new creation, right? That in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, as could say, God brought his son, brought him into the world, born of a virgin to die on the cross for our behalf. And all of time is structured around that one event. This sets forth the scope of God's plan and events. It is the ultimate Underline that word, write it in your Bible. It is the ultimate and not the immediate, right? It is the ultimate and it is the plan of all of creation and all of the cosmos. Saying the known world's just not enough. It won't suffice because the modifier there in that verse, verse 10, you see it, all things. And further modified by all things in heaven and all things in on, on earth. There is no other plan. Not of man, nor of nation, nor of league of nations. Only God's plan in Christ. In verse 10, we see it. It's just the final illumination of God's working creation to bring all things together in Christ. It began as the plan we spoke about a couple weeks ago to show you God's sovereignty and salvation and the working all things out to our good. That he created the heavens and the earth, gave them order and distinction, and he called all that he created good. It has chaos today because of sin. It was good before sin came into the world. Good because it was untarnished in any way, not sullied by sin. Then at the pinnacle of his creative acts, he created them male and female. God created man in his image. And he did what? The culmination of the glory of his creative glory, he gives everything they created to the creatures he created, to the man and to the woman, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill and subdue the earth and have dominion over all the created order. And that was meant for human flourishing. But what did man do? You know, I've been going through the first three chapters with our young men's group. And the first two chapters are just full of glory and exaltation of what God has done. Then you get to chapter three. And Eve eats the fruit. Oh, my goodness. There was something not good enough about what God said was good. There was something not paradise enough about paradise. There was something not perfect enough about the Garden of Eden where God supplied all of their needs, met every want they could have had, given purpose and meaning in all their work there in the Garden of Eden, and yet the devil was able to tempt Adam and Eve and tell them that they were missing out on something. Such humans we are, right? It is there they rebelled against all the good that God had created. Beloved, please don't think even for one moment nor let anyone on all of earth convince you that the world looks like it does because someone else has done wrong. The world looks like it does because Adam and Eve rebelled against perfection. They fell in a perfect environment. This is so instructive of sin. We don't sin because the world is full of sin. The world is full of sin because we're sinners. I'll say that one more time. We don't sin because the world is full of sin. No, we sin. The world is full of sin because we're sinners. The natural man hates God. 
any sin. He's dead, Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead men can't do anything. The natural man hates God, but God was not surprised by our rebellion. He had there in that creation account, chapter 3, the same account that says that, that Adam and Eve thought that God's paradise wasn't good enough, even though God said it was very good, that they wanted something more, that they thought they were missing out. Right there in that same chapter of the Bible, we see the proto-evangelium, the first hints of God's eternal plan to bring all things back together in Christ. My point was, it is today and still will ever be, is that God's not surprised by our sin. He had planned it before the foundations of the world. He knew that we were going to choose wrongly, and he had put in that Garden of Eden the salvation for our sins. Jesus is there. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's the first inklings of a coming salvation that he would unite all things in Christ one day. That's what we're working on today in verse 10. This word in the Greek language, this unite all things, do you see it there in verse 10? Let me read it again. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. That's a very interesting uh, word in the Greek. It's a very important word in the Greek, and it captures the meaning and the, the depth and the scope here. This word in the Greek language here really sets forth a wildfire and world of truth for the believer. The sense is that he, meaning God, is bringing all things back together. That is, redeeming all things in the head. And that head is Jesus. He is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And he is reclaiming, redeeming. You could translate it recapitulating all things that were lost in sin through the head. He's heading all those things up in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what that passage in Colossians is telling us. Uh, he's making all things new. Let's go to 2 Corinthians first. There is this recreation speech in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. This is familiar scripture. I can read it to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. In other words, he's not that creation that, we, that he was before. He's not the dead man that he used to be, but now he's alive. That seed has been placed in him. The work of Christ has been, and, and the blood has covered him. The old has passed away, the new has come. Not only has the new come, that part the soul saved before God in the immediate work of the redemption of the blood, but the new part, the building of the man through the work and sanctification of the word and the redeeming blood, the continual work of the gospel is happening within the man to make him more like Christ. That is, in Christ, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself. Don't miss these words. Not only the man, but the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, that reconciliation being in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is in our unification, beloved, with Christ that we're justified, saved, made new, never to die again, and that is God's plan for it all in Jesus Christ. Not only in us, but also in the world. And you say, for everything? Yes, accepting those who will not bow their knee to Jesus Christ. They'll be judged. They'll have no part in the world to come. But that will still bring God's glory because of his justice, Scripture tells us. But here's a secondary truth, that all things must be united in Christ leads us to believe that they're now divided. And we see that in the world. I said it earlier, this truth must not be missed by you this morning, beloved. This is the truth, and this truth alone, it's either Christ in your life or chaos. You can't have one and, and own the other, and you can't possess one without disowning the other. 
You cannot have both because Christ is the order in all of creation. He was there in the beginning when God created. That's why I took you back to the garden. Christ was there. He was there in the beginning when God ordered things. He spoke in God's efficient word. That is, our, our beloved gospel writer John fills, back fills this for us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And how we know that is Jesus, because in verse 14, John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That Jesus was there in the beginning. He was the word. As God spoke, the word was the agent in creation. He did the work. But our beloved writer does not leave us guessing that, for the divine word was He whom all things were made through, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the creator of all that has existed, and he will be, listen, in his blood, recreating everything that will stay in existence. As he unites all things in that head, who is Jesus Christ. What glorious truth that God spoke in the agent and creation, the divine word of God created all things that exist. Beloved, that Familiar chime, all things in your ears, is meant to connect these two glorious truths for you. One who created all things was there in the beginning and charged with the original creation. He is the selfsame one in Ephesians 10 that is charged in whom all things will be made new and united again. So what we see now is not what will always be. This is where I wanted to take you in Colossians 1. These Words here in Colossians 1 make it very plain. They echo this, that out of the chaos, Christ will build unity and bring all things together. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. If you have your Bible, please follow along with me this morning. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. This is the pinnacle of this passage. See it there in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. John told us that in his gospel, didn't he? Verse 15, Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. In other words, he was there in the beginning. He was the one that did all the creating. Verse 16 is going to open that up for us further. For by him, that is Jesus Christ, All things were created in heaven and on earth, everything, the visible things and the invisible things, whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, hear that ringing in your ear from 110, were created through him and not just through him, but for him, for his glory. And if they're for his glory, why would he leave them? Why would he dispossess them? Why would he not do the work to bring him into his glory? Verse 17, and he is before all things, listen, and in him all things hold together. There's where I come up with Christ or chaos. He is before all things, and it's in him all things hold together. It's outside of Christ that man falls apart, not with Christ. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. We're going to get to that more in the weeks to come because that's the point of all this, beloved you, the church, not the building, the church. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that in everything he is preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Here's where I want to be, verse 20. And through him to reconcile 
recapitulate, to bring back. And through him to reconcile him to himself, what? All things. Christ is the standard. You either bow the knee to him as Lord, or you're judged on that day. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, how did he do it? Making peace by the blood of his cross. It's through the blood. He's redeeming all things. Making all things new, bringing all things, whether things in heaven, things on earth. This is God's plan. I told you earlier there would be a way for you to assess your life. It's simple. It should be simple, but I want to bring you in the remembrance of these things. To, to measure your own progress, are you more burdened by the things of Christ or the temporal trappings of this world would be the question. What's important to you? Is it the immediate or the ultimate? Because when the ultimate comes, the immediate will be worthless. Are you bogged down in today? Or are you looking forward to the ultimate, to the plan of God? Are you living for the ultimate or bogged down in the immediate? And I say this specifically to the men that are sitting here or to listening to me this morning. Listen up. This is for you because you've been made the spiritual leader of your home, of your wife, of your children, of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren in some way. The ramifications of this go to the second and third generations, to the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Are you living in the immediate for your own glory, their ultimate for God's glory? It's a simple question. But it's going to take you a minute to answer that this morning, beloved. Are you living in the immediate for your own glory or in the ultimate for God's glory? Does the balance sheet of your life, and when I say that, I don't just mean your financial treasures, because there's much more to your life than just money. It's time, talents, and treasures. Does the time you have here on earth, the talents you've been given by God, and the treasures that you amass from that, does your debt does your balance sheet show a debt burden so great that you have trying to pay for all your luxuries that you have that you have scant little time to worry about the immediate or to the ultimate? In other words, you're so bogged down in the immediate you can't even think about the ultimate. Or does that same balance sheet show that you give more of your time, talents, and treasure away to the ultimate cause and work of Christ than you keep for yourself? Listen, it's a simple question. You can measure yourself. But on the day when you're there, the immediate has ceased, the ultimate has come fully. It's no less come today, remind you. You'll be questioned. The ultimate will consume the immediate just as death will be swallowed up in victory, beloved. And faith is our victory. First John tells us that for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Even our faith, yes, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's your faith. Pick up your cross. Lay down your life. Deal with the ultimate. Put away the immediate. Mao Zedong, uh, all the killing that he did, all the dead that he left, he's standing in judgment before God today because he is dead. The plan of God marches on. Stalin Lenin, Soviet Russia will fall to the ultimate plan of God. Christianity will overcome. Red China will capitulate to the hundreds of millions of Christians that are there today. Hinduism's inescapable grasp on the Indian people will one day succumb to Christianity and God's plan in Jesus Christ to unite all things in him. 
You can't stop this. All of these rulers, God mocks their display of power. I read that to you from Psalms 2. Beloved, this is somewhat of a wake-up call. Almighty God will get his glory. He will not fail in his work as just as light overcomes dark and life overcomes death because a different day is coming. Back at 2.4 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And no longer will there be a young lady who's been so convinced that drugs is the way of life be standing there tweaking. God will get his glory. Everyone who is now mocking God by living as their own God will be done. The good will reign. All the wrongs will be righted. And beloved, your redemption will at that time be fully known. This is God's plan before the foundation of the world. Just a few verses from Isaiah, and I'll leave you today. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. It shows a better vision of the hope that we have. I'll just read the first nine verses, and then we'll move on to communion. Shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from whose roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge but what his eyes sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Oh, there's a different day coming. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw just as the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And verse 9, there shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close this morning. We speak of a time that our minds can scant grasp. We live in a world that's so consumed by the immediate, don't we? Beloved, we live in a world that has to have fulfillment instantly, self-gratification right now. But it all just destroys the vision of the ultimate and what you're doing to bring all things together in Jesus Christ. Because these promises we read, they're as good as done. Father, my prayer is that your people this morning have considered these things deeply in their own lives, that they've come to a point in their life where they've bowed their knee to your son, Jesus Christ, that they've repented of their sins and turned to him in faith, and only faith will save them. Never their works, just their faith. Father, thank you for the glorious redemption in the blood of Jesus, for giving us the wisdom, the wisdom of your plan as the better we understand it, the more encouragement, the more joy we have in this life. Father, give them your joy this day. 
in the hope of the fulfillment of all things in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.